Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 24 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for the 24th episode and an extra thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and uh, shared your words of support and shared stories of how much this podcast has meant to you. And, and I do appreciate those kind words. And if you could do me a favor, uh, help support the podcast by spreading the word because many people aren't aware of the project and what we're doing to, uh, share these stories of survivors and caregivers, medical professionals. So if you know somebody that would benefit and think would enjoy listening to the podcast, share the link, invite them to find us on iTunes and subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes. Any of those things would certainly be appreciated. A few exciting events coming up within the colon cancer community I want to share with you coming up on Saturday, October 24th, the Unday 5K Run One Mile Walk makes its stop in Atlanta, Georgia at John Howell Park. And the race begins at 9 a.m. on Saturday, October 24th. And after Atlanta, the next stop is in Dallas, Texas, Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area on Saturday, November 14th at 8.30 a.m., the Undy will be at the Levitt Pavilion in Arlington, Texas. So if you're in the Atlanta or Dallas area, check out the Undy run or walk. If you've never been to an Undy, it's so much fun. Uh, and for obviously a great cause, people come out in the wildest of costumes. Uh, I've seen Batman, Superman. Yes, yours truly uh, wore some Batman attire. Uh, in Tampa earlier this year, the winning group, because the uh, there is an award for the best costumes, the winning group in Tampa in earlier 2015 was a group all dressed like the characters from Duck Dynasty, and they were affectionately known as Butt Dynasty. So it's a lot of fun if you're in Atlanta or Dallas, check out the Undy 5K Run One Mile Walk. And for more information, visit the Colon Cancer Alliance's brand new redesigned website at ccalliance.org. If you've not been on the website in some time, do check it out. It is very well done. It's been redesigned, uh, real easy to find what you're looking for. And they were so kind to even include a link to the colon cancer podcast on their site. And then the event that I am most excited about on uh, coming up on the uh, last Friday, Saturday of October, October 30th and 31st with check-in on Thursday night, October 29th, Live Your Best Life 2015, Colon Cancer Alliance's annual conference in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm told there is still uh, space available if you want to register uh, for the conference. And I'm really excited to let you know that we will be doing live podcasting from the conference. So look for the Colon Cancer Podcast table at the conference. Stop by and say hi. You'll see our sign. You'll see our two microphones with their foam uh 
screens on the end. And of course, those screens are going to be royal blue. And uh, come by and say hi. I'm so excited to meet so many of you that I've only had the chance to converse with uh, virtually online. And uh, we'll be inviting uh, members who are visiting the conference to join in in the podcast, share your thoughts, to share your story. So uh, come check us out in Phoenix uh, the later on this month. Looking forward to it. My guest this week is Mark Arsenault. Mark wrote a book detailing uh, his story and his experience with colon cancer. He is a six-year survivor, and his book is titled semicolon memoir of a colon cancer survivor it's a very interesting story i'll let him tell it join me now for my conversation with mark arsenault mark how are you today thank you so much for joining me on the colon cancer podcast how are you oh i'm fantastic lee thanks for having me i really appreciate it great i i love when i hear the word fantastic when i'm talking to (laughs) a fellow survivor we should all get to the point that we're able to say that don't you agree? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, in fact, I, I make an effort every day to think of a different positive word that's something other than good, because I always try to keep my coworkers on their toes. Oh, I'm with you. Good's a four-letter word, in my opinion. So. <laughs> <laughs> and matter of fact, is not to get too sidetracked, but I read a terrific business book. Uh, you may have heard of it, and, it, and it's called Good to Great. And one of the quotes in there is, good is the enemy of great. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, uh, we're not talking business. We're talking uh, survival <laughs> here. But I think it's uh, applicable, don't you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you are now, uh, we can call you, what, a six-year survivor? Uh, yeah, it'll be six years in uh, November. It'll be six years post-surgery. Fantastic. So take me back to six years ago. Uh, when did you first realize that you may have had an issue and, and, and you know, kind of take us briefly through what happened to you? Sure. Um, it was late spring, I want to say around March or April of uh, 2009 when I started noticing some symptoms. And when I say symptoms, it was really only one thing that was happening at the time, and that was uh, constipation for me. And, you know, I tried the home remedies, the over-the-counter stuff, and it just got progressively worse. When I always, you know, I had these sensations where I, I needed to use the restroom, but it just wasn't productive. Um, and then some bleeding started, and it was all getting so bad that I even, I, I, I backed out of um, attending my, my cousin's wedding here in the state. I just didn't feel comfortable traveling at all. Um, had an initial test, um, a, 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 a test at the, at the doctor for colon cancer. And the initial test came up negative. So, you know, I was thinking that, okay, so this is something else. Well, I talked to my regular doctor again, and he referred me to, uh, to GI to get a scope. And that, that was kind of, my doctor at the time was a very straight shooter. Um, and he said, well, they want to scope you. And I said, well, that doesn't sound comfortable. And he said, well, it's not. But uh, I think you should have it done. So that was in uh, July July 17th is when the diagnosis came back. But um, and I remember being on the uh, on the table watching the monitor uh, during the scoping process and literally coming face to face with the reality that I had colon cancer. And what was just your initial reaction hearing the C word? Um, you know, I didn't hear it. That's the thing. I saw it. Um, and I, I knew, I just knew in my gut, oh my gosh, that does not look 
anything uh, that I would consider normal. And I remember after the procedure, the doctor was kind of quiet and, you know, setting things aside. And I said, so I've got cancer. And I remember him, he kind of, to me, it felt like he was hemming and hawing. and said, well, we don't know for sure. Well, you know, I took a biopsy and we'll find out. And I said, so it might not be. And he said, well, we're, you know, we're going to wait and get the biopsy results. But even if it's not, it's ugly and it's going to have to come out. And, you know, to me, I'm thinking, okay, that's right. He's a doctor. He can't actually make that diagnosis. So he's not going to say the word, but I knew, I just knew. And, um, you know, it's that sensation of shock came over me. And I remember walking out toward the, the, the exit in the waiting room. Several of the staff came up to me and said, oh, my gosh, you're, you're so young. I'm so surprised. And, and to me, at first, I felt kind of offended. I was like, well, what does it matter how young I am? That's, that's not what I want to hear from you folks. That you're, you're surprised. How do you think I feel? You know? But um, it was it was about a week later that the the official diagnosis came in and I had already switched my mind from from shock and fear to to what I call fight mode. I was like, okay, it's cancer warrior time. Everything in my life is now going to uh, focus on getting rid of this. Right. How old were you when you were diagnosed, Mark? (sighs) Forty two. Wow. Yeah. And I, I, you know. Those of us who've been through this face many uh, challenges and barriers, and I know, at least for me, one of the hardest ones was having to share the news with my family. Uh, tell me about that, how that was for you. Um, that was not easy, um, but fortunately, my, my wife is very much my rock, and I'm sure she was scared as well. Um, but, you know, we just we tried to deal with it head on. Uh, my mom at that time was about a 23 year, uh, breast cancer survivor. So she was extremely supportive, scared also, but, um, you know, that we, we just rallied around the cause and just made that commission just to figure out, you know, to find out everything we could find out. Um, and again, in my mind, it was all, it was all the logistics of war. You know, I, I literally thought of every, appointment as gaining more and more ammunition just to eliminate this. And that's coming from a military veteran. Yeah, military and 20-plus year law enforcement veteran, yeah, absolutely. So I get it. I get it. And so what was the treatment protocol prescribed for you? Well, there, there were some options they were looking at, but ultimately what they decided on was a round of uh, what they called preoperative uh, radiation, uh, radiotherapy, and that was intended to shrink the tumor as much as possible. And they really had no idea how effective that would be, uh, as well as some uh, chemotherapy pre-surgery. Uh, and then to actually go in and surgically remove the tumor, uh, which you know could have and, and ultimately did result in the removal of most of my rectum. Um, and then some additional chemotherapy following the surgery, uh, just you know, just in case there were any errant cancer cells floating around my body, they told me. And you're currently NED? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're five years and uh, November will be six years post-surgery. Congratulations. Thank you. So you, like a lot of people, 
one of your outlets was to write and uh, you wrote some blog posts and then decided to create a book out of that. I did. Tell me, tell me about that. Well, not I, some people kind of have a hard time with with the the rationale, but I think ultimately everybody understands once I tell them. I was telling my story to a lot of people. You know, I've got a lot of friends and family members. Um, most of my family is not local to me, so I don't, uh, you know, I communicate with them via phone or, or email or what have you. And I found that after just even the first week, I was telling my story over and over and over again. And it's not that I didn't want anybody to know. I was willing to share it with whomever wanted to know. But the problem I found was that as I progressed through treatment um, and, and my mind was I was trying to be forward looking, forward thinking and always trying to be in the now. That as I was telling my story and kind of trying to bring people up to speed or they had questions about you know the beginning, the diagnosis, I found my mind kept going back. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but I really didn't want to keep telling that story over and over again. Once I told my my inner circle, my close family and friends, um, you know, I wanted to share it, but I didn't want to keep retelling it. So I found that by creating the blog, people that wanted to know, wanted to keep up with the updates and, you know, know the details, the ins and outs, the, you know, the 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 dark humor, what have you could. You know, I, I had a, the blog as a way to share that with them and people who didn't want to know, they, I mean, that's fine. They wouldn't, they wouldn't see it, but it allowed me to record my impressions and thoughts and experiences, um, at the time I was having them, but not being forced to kind of relive them. Does that make sense? Because I was always in a, in a, in a, in a forward, uh, movement with my, with my uh, treatment and, and everything that was happening. So ultimately, that's why I started blogging. And, you know, I was encouraged to uh, publish it as a book over time uh, to help other people to give. Because I, I mean, I talk about some things that uh, I think a lot of people want to know about. They may have questions about, but don't ask for whatever reason, whether it's an embarrassment or they don't know to ask or they just don't know what kind of things could come up. I put it all in there. I didn't hold very much back at all. Um, but you know, going forward, I just, I wanted to be able to, um, kind of be in the now and keep thinking in terms of eliminating, uh, the cancer. So the, the book came about, uh, as a way to, to share it with other people, but only after several years, um, of encouragement from other folks, because I, I just didn't see it as a, well, you know, it's kind of hard to say I, I was sharing everything, but I just wasn't ready to put it out as a book. You know, I guess I, I was still feeling, um, you know, as I even today, I feel really humble about the whole experience and being here. But, you know, releasing it as a book, it just didn't feel right for, for quite a while. And ultimately, the way I was able to do that was by thinking of it in terms of sharing the experiences with other people and finding a way to give back. That's kind of the way I looked at it as, as a reader. Uh, initially, when I opened the book, you know, I felt like I was uh, next to you on each and every one of your appointments <laughs> to the various doctors and such. But then I, it, I realized for people who 
you know, unfortunately are, are newly diagnosed, you know, there's so much fear. And a lot of the fear in anything comes from the unknown yes. and lack of knowledge. And I could see going through your book how someone who would be in that position could take comfort from participating in your journey as they're getting ready for theirs. Absolutely. And even some of the decision making, I mean, going back, if I had to do everything over again, there were some decisions uh, that I would make differently. Um, for one thing, if anybody's given the option of a sigmoidoscopy or a colonoscopy, always go with the latter, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the discomfort level, there, there, there's no uh, there's no connection. Don't ask me why I chose the one at the time, but. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, you, you talked about being humble. Uh, the other emotion, there's a, quite a few emotions that come through in the book. Uh, one is the one that those of us that have been through this experience all are caught by surprise by is the, the emotional uh, feeling that we have when treatment ends. Mm. Talk about that. It's for me, the treatment ending was, uh, was a huge relief, but it opened up a whole new door of the unknown. Uh, cause I, I remember I, at the time I was very grateful that treatment was over, but there was that constant nagging, that constant thought in the back of my mind, you know, of, okay, well, how long might it be before it comes back? Is it going to come back? Am I, you know, am I going to be a survivor uh, per the statistics? It's just, you know, constantly battling my own inner talk uh, about this. And then plus you, you make, you develop relationships with people. Um, the people that were treating me, my, my treatment team, my army, uh, if you will, you know, we, you, you, you get to get into this rhythm of going through the treatments and going to the infusion center and talking with people, maybe even making new friends, you know, other people going through treatments in there. And when it's over, um, it's for me, there was, there was a sense of loss, you know, because that wasn't there. Um, it, they kind of become this, this secondary support network for you. So here I was kind of going out into the world. Everybody was congratulating me and I was smiling and thanking folks, but at the same time, I felt almost lost. You know, there was this sense of, okay, my wife and I are here. She's here. My mom's here. They're, all, they're always going to help me. But what next? You know, what do we do? And it, for a while, it just felt like I was just waiting, waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know. And it took me quite a while to get my mind again into that mode of, you know what? I do have a future. Um, I have to expect health and longevity and not live in this constant fear that I'm creating for myself. So for me, it, you know, I don't, I don't suggest this is the same for everybody, but for me, it honestly took a while before I actually felt like one, I deserved, uh, to, to survive and, and to actually be comfortable with the idea and ex be expecting to, uh, you know, to be that five year survivor. I uh, know. I totally understand. You, you just use the word uh, grateful. And that was the other thing that I picked up from your book was 
you are, you really come across and, and express such a feeling of gratitude to all the caregivers that were there for you. They really are our heroes, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They are. Does any one in particular stand out? <laughs> you know, there, there are a few, um, who have that, you know, my top of mind awareness as I call it. But I mean, really, I, I, I couldn't just single out one. I may have talked more with one. They may have had a, a greater emotional impact on me, but you know, that's not to minimize the, the gratitude I feel for the x-ray technician that I, I didn't talk to that much or to, you know, the, the person working in the lab. The bottom line is, is that it was, it was a team effort. And that includes me and my, all of my caregivers, my family, my friends, everybody who supported me, prayed for me. So to be honest, I, I really try not to focus on any one, but just have that sense of gratitude and, and um, debt, really, you know, and this obligation to pay it forward and to just show my, my gratitude and love for everybody that was involved in the process. I get it. <laughs> I get it. You're you're coming up on another anniversary too. Uh, that's the anniversary of the day that you gave up smoking. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, Lee, where are we going with that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it, it, it was very interesting for me to read in the book. Uh, you know, it, it's a habit that that people have, and and we all know the dangers. And it's easy for those of us that don't do it to tell those of those of you that do, oh, just quit, but it's not that easy. But what was interesting initially to read in your book was uh, during your initial diagnosis that at the beginning, your doctor did not encourage you to quit. Oh, correct. Yeah, that and that was because of the, the surgery that we were looking at. Um, the, the doctor basically told me that if you quit smoking prior to surgery, it needs to be at least three weeks ahead of the surgery. And that's to minimize the risk uh, from the anesthesia and whatnot. And that if you're not going to quit at least three weeks out, not to bother quitting. Because if you quit too soon before surgery, while your body's going through that initial you know, cleansing process of you know, all the coughing and stuff, that it can actually aggravate and complicate um, the, the process and increase the risk of being in anesthesia. So yeah, I had planned to, to quit. They told me three weeks. Great. I was, I was going to quit exactly three weeks. I was going to keep smoking right up until the moment I couldn't, you know, smoke anymore. Um, and then I remember getting called in and the doctor said, Hey, we've got a, we've got a date available for surgery. So we're going to move it up a week. And you know, my, my heart just fell through to the floor because <laughs> I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm already less than three weeks. Well, I guess I don't need to quit. And he said, Oh no, you, you, you should still quit. So, you know, I, I, I did it basically, it wasn't on my schedule and it had it not been for cancer, to be honest, I don't know when I would have quit, but so that's what forced me. And then after the surgery and being in the hospital there, uh, for that additional week, you know, that got me through the, that, that tough early 72 hours, but that's right. how I ended up quitting tobacco the first time. Mm -hmm. Now, many of us are familiar with those rather graphic commercials that the Center for Disease Control has been running to encourage people to quit. And there was one particular commercial where they showed a woman, I believe her name was Julia, uh, who had a, I believe it was a colostomy. And she talked about the fear of leaving the house. 
and you were in that commercial. Yes. Uh, a, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the, on the controversy about you know, telling people, gee, if you have an ostomy, you can't leave the house. And how did you come to be involved uh, with the CDC and actually be a part of that TV commercial? Well, the, the second answer, probably, uh, I'll, I'll tackle that one first. As far as getting involved, um, I actually need to go back to my book because when I first decided to publish the book, um, I remember I told you that I, I always get this sense of wanting to give back, you know, being a survivor, I think just being here on the earth has gives people a, a sort of an obligation to give back. But being a survivor definitely amplified that, that impression for me. So when I decided to publish the book, I wanted to do something to give back. And one of the things I did, I contacted um, organizations, including the Cohen Cancer Alliance, and asked, inquired about creating a partnership. Um, so what I wanted to do was donate some of the proceeds from the book to them and ask how they would feel about that. You know, could I use their logo? Well, that led to a formal partnership with them. That's why, you know, the, the verbiage appears on the back cover and their logo is there. So I donate part of the proceeds from each book sale uh, of the Kindle version, the, the, the hard copy version to the Colon Cancer Alliance. Well, as a result of being in touch with those folks, uh, they notified me, um, I'm trying to remember what, what exact year it was, that the CDC was looking for people who were smokers at the time they were diagnosed with colon cancer. And they knew that I fit that criteria. So they made sort of the, the introductions, gave me the contact info, and I got a hold of the folks that were doing the casting for those commercials. Uh, went through an interview process and, and talked with them and ultimately was one of the people selected uh, for the 2015 Tips from Former Smokers campaign. And that's how I ended up in that commercial. Now, in terms of the controversy um, around the commercial, I I remember the, the comments um, that I was seeing online uh, and, and hearing from folks. And my recollection is that they were concerned that the comment that was made in the commercial, which, which was Julia's impressions, you know, that was her experience. Um, but that they thought it was, it was not a good thing to, to have because it increased, um, potentially increased fear, um, about, you know, somebody getting an ostomy, which, which is, you know, w without doubt, uh, contributes to saving people's lives. And that their concern was that people would, would not opt for that procedure you know, potentially uh, as a result of seeing that in the commercial, I was, I hadn't even thought that those, those kind of things could lead to that kind of reaction. In my mind, just, it wasn't there. Um, and that's not to diminish their concerns. I completely understand it. And I think what, what happened as a result, because the, the folks that I know at the CDC, they are extremely sensitive to other people's impressions and, you know, they're, the goal of the commercials is to encourage people to stop smoking and to save lives, period. And we were told that, you know, when we were speaking on the commercials, we're speaking about our experiences from our experiences. And, you know, that's that's really what it was. And then putting those things in the commercial so that others can hear it, because one of my mentors told me one time that the message that you have to give will only be heard by some people from you. They could hear the same exact message from somebody else and they 
they're not going to get that message. They're not going to receive it. So to withhold the message is actually withholding that from those people who would only hear it from you. And that was one of the reasons why I chose to do the commercial. Um, but in terms of the controversy, I, I understand where they're coming from. Um, I think the, the intent of the commercials is, uh, certainly not to, to instill fear so that people don't, uh, choose a procedure, but you know, they, they responded to it and, and made some changes as I understand. Am I correct, Mark, in, um, in that they did wind up reshooting that commercial? Well, they, they didn't reshoot it. Um, I think they made some editorial changes and then re-released it. Um, all of those commercials are on YouTube. If you do a YouTube search for CDC Tips Julia or CDC Tips Mark um, on YouTube, you can find that commercial and any of the stuff they release. I mean, I really, I really can't speak to any any policy issues or decisions or whatnot, only, you know, my own impressions, but. Sure. No, I understand. Now, are you continued, uh, do you continue to be involved with them? Um, I am in that I will always be a part of the 2015 campaign. Um, so I'm, I'm still in touch with, with some of the people over there, but they're already going through the process of trying to find those people for next year's campaign. You know, it's a, it's a constant process, but in terms of being in the commercial, there are some states, uh, state health organizations that are still running the commercials in various places. So, yeah, I've got a lot of folks uh, around the country that keep telling me they see me on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I see. At the time that we're recording this episode, Mark, it's difficult to turn on the TV, uh, especially a sporting events, uh, TV commercials, and not see the color pink. Mm-hmm. Do you envi- do you envision the time that uh, we'll be able to turn on the TV in the month of March, which is Colon Cancer Awareness Month, and start seeing some royal blue? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Why not? Um, I don't think anything's impossible. You know, the the bottom line is if if people set their intentions on something and follow their heart, then it's it's something that's that's doable. You know, just even the word impossible. You know, if you break that into two words, it says I'm possible. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. I, that needs to go on a poster somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't make it up. I can't take credit. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, as we wrap up, Mark, uh, I, I like to ask the, the folks that I have the pleasure of speaking with uh, this particular question. And that is, uh, if someone were to tune into this podcast and uh, come upon our conversation as the first episode that they've listened to Mm -hmm. and they themselves or someone they care deeply about was recently diagnosed with colon cancer. What message would you have for that individual? Ignore the odds. Um, When I was first diagnosed, you know, I had people, even my, my doctor telling me about percentages, chances of survival, things of that nature. And you know what? The bottom line is none of it, none of it matters. Uh, everybody is different. There's always the possibility, and I'd say even likelihood, of variables that are unseen. Um, you know, whether somebody is very strong in their, in their faith, uh, spiritual, or they it, you know, embrace the idea that attitude has a huge impact on health and healing. 
whether there are new treatments coming, whatever angle you need to look at the situation and understand that colon cancer is survivable and that you can survive, that has to be in the forefront of your mind. Um, it would, would have been really easy to sit there and look at the odds and think, well, you know, the likelihood is that, you know, I could die and focus on that and, and getting my will and all those things in order. But the, I believe that you attract what you focus on, you know, where your, where your focus goes, the energy flows. So, you know, I, I made a decision early on. We talked about looking at this from uh, almost from a warrior standpoint. And I don't think anybody goes into uh, a fight with the intent of losing. Um, I had to I had to believe that I could and would win. And so for anybody that's that's dealing with the diagnosis uh, for the first time, don't focus on articles and don't ask those questions about what are my chances of survival? Because I think ultimately it's more up to the individual than it is to anyone else or anything else. Good advice. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you spending time with me today and, and sharing your personal story. I know it will prove to be an inspiration to others, just like your, your book was. Uh, just uh, for the listeners, because oftentimes people that listen to podcasts are are mobile. They're in the gym listening, they're walking, they're driving, so they don't have pen and paper. Uh, share the title of the book and where they can find it. Sure. The, the title is a Semicolon, Memoir of a Colon Cancer Survivor. And um, they can find it on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. There's a Kindle edition there. And if they're just looking for... Uh, another website for the book itself. It's semicolon, the Terrific. Well, I'll, I'll, I will also include the link to the book, uh, on my website, the colon cancer Mark, thank you so much again for spending time with us. Uh, I wish you continued good health, uh, good set, continued success in all that, uh, you pursue and, uh, thank you and be well. Oh, thank you. You too. You're, you're doing a, a a fantastic thing with this podcast. I really, really uh, appreciate it. And uh, I, I appreciate what you're doing for everybody out there. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.